You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Okay, well, uh, how about you stand up? I'm going to read a scripture, and then we'll get in. I'm going to preach a word tonight. We're going to read Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11 through 16. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are closing uh, the, the series we've been on tonight, uh, going through the core values of Riverhouse through these five uh, paradoxes. And who uh, has been challenged? So uh, who can recite all four previous ones? All right, do it real quick. Okay, too long. All right. Intimacy and mystery, joy and suffering, power and dependence, word and spirit, and tonight we're going to conclude with honor and honesty. And, oh, that that hit home. All right. Uh, God is discipling us into a place of knowing him, uh, and that is relationally. We need him to know him, and these paradoxes really make it evident that we don't have within ourselves the ability to comprehend and know him, right? And so we have been on this journey of trying to discover the aspect of the nature of God that he is, he's trying to reveal through this unique local church called Riverhouse. And so I really want to encourage you all that part of stewarding, these are significant messages for who we are today and who we're becoming, uh, to really steward uh, these messages and, and go back, listen to them, ponder them, meditate upon them. Let God really draw you out into a new place of relationship with him through this sermon series. It's a significant series. We're not done. We will be circling back on this. We're actually going to form a, uh, a publication, a small booklet around these messages and really try to visually capture them, uh, put language and articulate this so that this becomes an aspect of who, we're, who we are and who we are becoming as we continue to pursue God. Amen? So, uh, you know, and again, DNA is not just caught on Sunday. It's, it's actually caught, it's received, it's transferred in all of the corporate spaces that uh, we have within the church being revival groups and also corporate prayer time. So again, just wanna encourage you, the more that you give yourself, the more that you will receive 
the, Lord, uh, the leadership of Jesus uh, through, through her house church. So tonight, uh, I want to talk about honor and honesty. And I read the passage out of Ephesians 4 uh, because it's a powerful passage about who the church is and really Paul's ecclesiology, which is a fancy word of his understanding of, of the church and how the church was to grow and how the church was to be governed is really in this passage. But the main action point of the whole passage is, is the phrase that we use all the time in the church, but I think we oversimplify it and we miss the depth. We miss that this phrase is actually God calling us into the paradox of the tension of honor and honesty. And that phrase is speak the truth in love. How, how many of you have quoted this before? You know, we gotta speak the truth in love, right? We say it like it's a simple statement. That is a, that's a loaded phrase to speak the truth in love, right? How many of you have had the truth spoken to you but you didn't feel like it was love, but they thought it was love, right? And how many people, you thought you were loving somebody but you weren't really loving them because you needed the truth, right? Anybody, you're like, why didn't you tell me that that relationship was so toxic at the beginning? Anybody? I've been there, right? And they're like, because you didn't really want it and I didn't really, I don't know, it was uncomfortable, right? Right, so it's truth and love, it's a loaded statement. And I, I, as we unpack honor and honesty tonight, I wanna do it in the analogy of the body because this is where we'll build the tension. Paul is speaking to tell us, he's telling us to speak the truth and love in the context of the body of Christ building and, and supplying what every part supplies so that it can grow up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Are you following me? You need to be real expressive tonight, all right? Because... We're, we're small in number, but we're mighty in the Lord, amen? Right, so when we're speaking of honor, right, each, each aspect of the body is significant, right? There's nothing wasted in our bodies, right? Like, I hurt my pinky like two and a half months ago, right? We think like, oh, I have a pinky. I hurt my pinky playing, and I'm like, man, my pinky hurts, and there's so many things that I can't do that I take for granted. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you injure one little thing, and you realize, oh my gosh, Every part of my body actually has to function correctly or else every part of my body suffers, right? So there is immense honor and value in the body of Christ. And the way that God has created us uniquely and dispensed grace and given gifting and personality and perspective and all of these things, every part of the body of Christ is extremely valuable, right? And, and because of that, because it, all of us are image bearers, we, we're derived from him, he created us. We don't just have value for what we do, right? There's a significance and importance to our function, but the value is actually even deeper is because of our identity, meaning that every single person in the world is worthy of honor because they are image bearers of God and extremely valuable to God and extremely valuable to his plan and purposes being accomplished on the earth. It's, it's just an amazing aspect of, of what it means to be a Christian is that we have this identity in God, in Christ, that's been redeemed through his blood. So everybody is worthy of honor because every part of the body is valuable, right? And honesty, Right, each part of the body is connected to another part of the body. Right, and the way that, that right, we, like my pinky is communicating to my brain that there's pain, right, that pain is actually the communication. Right, it's the way that the different parts of the body communicate. 
right? And I remember I was in the sauna one day years ago, and this old man was, was he was talking to somebody. You know how you, like, you're in the sauna and you hear these interesting conversations sometimes? I don't have time to tell you like some of the conversations that I've heard. They'd be really entertaining, trust me. I could make you fall over laughing. You're like, that didn't happen. Yes, it did. Ask AJ. He were both, like, anyways. But well, I'm in the sauna this one day. This is what, like, this old man's talking. I'm like, this guy's like a wise old sage talking. And the guy's like, oh, well, you mean you can get rid of all that pain and stuff. You just take some pain meds. And the guy's like, no. I'm not gonna take those pain meds. He's like, pain is good for you. It tells you what's going on in your body so you can respond in the right way. And I was like, that is well said right there. I was like, I hope that guy's sitting there is convicted right now that he's just numbing himself out, right? Because if we numb out the pain, we actually will do things that cause more damage to the body. Right, so the nervous system is always communicating with itself, and the way that the, the body members actually communicate and there's alignment is it, there's these signals, distress signals. Hey, 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 hey. You, you know, you might, you're, you know, it's like weightlifters when their body's getting go big, they're not listening to their calves, you know? I'm talking, it's like their biceps, they're not listening to their calves. Calves are like, you're getting really heavy up there. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so the body has to communicate to itself. And when there's a breakdown of communication, the, body, the whole body ends up suffering, right? So, so honesty is required. Honesty, honest communication is the way that the, the, the nervous system, system fires. It, it's this little shot of pain sometimes, but it's needed because we are all connected. We, don't, we are not apart. We're not living our own little existence. We are all connected, and we are hardwired for connection, right? Like, if there's one thing that's hit me hard about this whole Kobe Bryant thing, which it's been sad for me, is how deeply we're wired for connection. I never even spoke to him in my life but I can empathize and mourn for him and his family because I felt a connection with him because we are so, like, we form connections. And, and, and honesty is, uh, is necessary. So is this making sense to you? Yeah. Right, so to speak the truth in love is that we're, we're, we are, we're honoring people for who they are, the value, the eternal worth, the significance, the identity, right? But then we are also committed to giving honest feedback to them. We're speaking the truth. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we're a mirror. Honesty is a mirror at its best, right? And just to, like definition here, honesty is a quality of speaking the truth plainly. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Honesty is a mirror. It gives crystal clear feedback, right? Crystal clear feedback, right? And honor, right, all mankind are image bearers of God, uh, we see this in the book of James. We see this in Ecclesiastes. Eternity is within our heart. We see this in Genesis. And therefore, because they're image bearers, they're worthy of honor. Identity is what merits honor, not behavior. Right, so everybody is, 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 is worthy of honor. And honor is a public acknowledgement of, of something significant, worthy of praise, worthy of celebration. So every person that you meet in your life, whether they are the most heinous in their behavior or they are the most you know, pious in their behavior, are worthy of honor. We're to honor all mankind because they are image bearers of the Father God and redeemed through Jesus Christ. 
Right? Everyone is worthy of your honor. It does not matter how people treat you. It does not matter how people speak to you. It does not matter what their behavior is to you. They are worthy of your honor because they are formed in the image of God and we are to honor God. It is part of your worship. This is what James talking about when he talks about taming the tongue. He's like, from the same mouth cannot come blessing to God and cursing of the ones made in his image. It makes no sense. If we're to be true in our worship, we have to honor all people and recognize that they, C.S. Lewis says that if we could see people in their glorified state, we would be tempted to fall down and worship them, worship one another. Just a little quote he had in one of his ponderings. We have no idea who we are. We have, we have no idea yet. We've, we've just seen a glimpse of our full potential. So we're to honor one another. And at the same time, we're to speak the truth plainly. We're to call a spade a spade. We're to give honest, crystal clear feedback. We're to be a mirror for people that says, this is what your behavior's doing. This is what's going on. This is what I see. This is your blind spot. This is, right, and the reason this can be paradoxical is because it's like, how do I do both of those things at the same time? Because the more I get to know you, the less you seem like you, I saw in the vision and gave you a prophetic word, and I just start to see all this brokenness. Why are you quiet? You know what I'm talking about? You first meet someone, it's like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. You're like, man, I had this word for you. You're gonna change the world. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. It's like, you're amazing. Then like six months later, you're like, you're still amazing. Then it's like 18 months later, you're like, you're kind of starting to annoy me. <laughs> In fact, I think you're kind of cocky. In fact, you're kind of, like, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Or like, man, I don't really like the way you just talked about me. Like, like. Like stuff comes out, right? The reason that this speak the truth and love is paradoxical is because of human brokenness. We are both image bearers of God and we are still walking that out and we have brokenness. So it puts some pressure on our mouth as far as how it goes to we relating to people. And it makes it very difficult and it makes it, what does honor look like in this situation? What does honesty look like in this situation? Am I, am I making sense? All right, so I'm gonna just give some scriptural references here to kind of just build, and then we're gonna, I'm, I wanna kind of put this into real life. All right, so when honor, we see this uh, in the way that Jesus related with Peter, Nathaniel, and Zacchaeus. He looked at Peter in, uh, in one of the gospels, and the, like the first day he met him and said, you're a rock. Was Peter a rock? No, but what was Jesus doing? He was honoring the image, the image of God that Peter did carry, right? He looked at Zacchaeus and honored him, right? It was an honor above all honors to have a rabbi come to your house. He is hiding in a tree because he's, a, he's, been, he's been, you know, taking advantage of people and stealing all their money. And Jesus honors him. Why? Because he saw that Zacchaeus was actually a generous man. And one act of honor actually unlocked his identity. And he said, I'm, he's like, I'm gonna pay everybody back triple what I stole from him. Right, because Jesus honored a man in his brokenness. He saw the image of God in Zacchaeus. I'm gonna dine with you. Right, Nathaniel is 
Liz, uh, when, when uh, they come and say, hey, we found the Messiah, he's bad-mouthing Jesus. He's like, nothing good can come from Nazareth. He's a racist, like all of you making fun of Caldwell and Nampa. I'm serious, he's like, that place is the pit, man. It's like Barstow, California. It's the armpit of the whole region. And Jesus sees him and says, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. <laughs> what? Because right, he saw the image of God in Nathaniel. He didn't respond to his behavior. He was responding to his identity. He was giving honor. Jesus honored people. Right, we see this, the way the father honors the prodigal son. Why is he throwing him a party? Why is he throwing him a party? Has nothing to do with what he did. He just says, you're my son. God honors us for who we are. Right, we are royalty. You never walk by a simple, mere mortal. You're walking by a royal son or daughter of God. And the more we become people that are trained by the way of the kingdom, the way Jesus sees, the way that God sees, we see royal people. And when you walk by someone that's royal, right? Like, who watched the royal wedding? Who recognized that the royal you know, couple looks like Sammy and Riley? They do, it's weird, look at pictures. Yeah, yeah, he's not as bald, he's more ginger. Like, right, we, we as human beings, we, we actually are gravitated towards royalty. Right, we like, we, we, we care about what royalty dresses like, what they do, what they wear, where they walk, how they socialize. We're drawn to it because something within us knows that's what we were created for. Right? Every person that you rub shoulders with is royal, is worthy of honor, is worthy of, of recognition, of bestowing, celebrating. But the more we become like Jesus, that's, who we, that's what we see. Even, even in the dirt, even in the filth, even in the brokenness, you see royalty. Not like it's some like, oh, this is cool, we're royal priesthood, no to the core of who you are. You are royal. You've been given invitation in Hebrews 4 to come before the throne of grace with boldness. Who boldly goes before thrones? You are royal. And here's some scripture for honesty. Paul rebukes Peter. That would be like me rebuking uh, Ravi Zacharias or Bill Johnson or, you know, you name your big speaker, Greg Laurie. He's coming to do a big crusade here because I'm in a room and I recognize he's not walking in righteousness and I rebuke him. Peter was the man. Peter was the rock of the church. Peter was the one who Jesus asked him three times, will you feed my sheep? 
Peter was the one called on the shores of Galilee. Peter was the legitimate apostle who had been with Jesus. Paul never met him in his real life. Paul always felt inferior. Paul was, was told he was inferior. Paul had all, no reason to think that he could be the one to rebuke Peter, but Paul speak the truth in love. He rebuked him. Right? And you can see that Peter and Paul, they, Peter later honored Paul in one of his letters. Right? He spoke the truth to even Peter. Nobody's above reproach, not even the rock. Paul with the Galatians. Honesty, read it. It's like, who has bewitched you? This is the author, by the way, of grace. This is the man who, who communicated grace better than anyone. Who has bewitched you? Jesus with the Pharisees, brutally honest. Jesus with all his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling people, don't lust, don't do this. You've heard it said this way, do it this way. He's honest. Jesus with uh, Peter. <laughs> Peter got a lot of honesty. Get behind me, Satan. Peter, uh, Jesus with his disciples as they're having a, a little internal disputes amongst themselves about who's the best and who's the most favored and who's gonna get them promotions. Right? They weren't all like in a 12 circle talking about it. Jesus is just aware and what does he do? He confronts it, gives the honesty. Right? Peter, uh, Peter on Pentecost, honest, cuts them to the heart. Right, their honesty, I don't think I have to go any further. There's honesty. We are called to be honest, to speak the truth plainly. Yes, yes, no, no. This is what I see. You're just a mirror. All right, so I, 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 I wanna go a little deeper into honesty here, and this, this may pull up conviction, and that's good. But there's two, two personal applications that I just felt the Lord wanted me to highlight as, as far as uh, what honesty looks like in your life. The first is that it's personal integrity, which means you tell the truth about yourself, your motives, and your behaviors. Right? And the, the spiritual practice of this would be confession. James 5, confess your sins to one another that you will be healed. Right? Confession, we, we often think that I can confess my sins to God, and that's good, and God does forgive you. Right? We don't need a priest to forgive us of our sins. But God has designed, part of the body working together is that God's given us the gift of community because it's harder to confess to your friends, to your brothers, to your sisters than it is in your own little quiet time to God. You know what I'm talking about? Right, you, there's, they, they stand, they stand at, and it brings a sense of sobriety. It brings a sense of ownership. There's something about when you can confess Right, and this is obviously I'm talking about, uh, and, and you know, there's, po there's positive confession as well. You can confess the prophetic words that God's spoken to your life. Right, you, if you wanna do something really vulnerable, it's actually probably more vulnerable to confess your prophetic words to someone and what you believe God's telling you than it is to confess your sin. Confessing your sin's vulnerable. When you confess what you really are dreaming and the deep desires and the vulnerable feelings of your life, that's more vulnerable. So confession's not just brokenness. Confession is confessing to people who you are. You have to be honest with yourself. But obviously where we often have these breaches of characters, we're not honest with people. We don't practice confession. 
We can have our own little me spirituality, right? That's not what we're created for. Confession is a powerful spiritual practice. It's a discipline that we're to do. Go to God, get your forgiveness, and then go to people in your life and confess. Be honest about yourself, your intentions, your motives, your thoughts, what's going on. You have to be honest. Honesty starts with yourself, looking in the mirror and saying, I am this, that's who I am. Not just on the secret, I'm the same with people. There's congruency of my private life and my public life. And when there's not, the way I restore congruency is I go to my brothers and my sisters and I confess what's going on so that congruency is restored. Right, so personal integrity is congruency between your inner life and your outer life. And the way that you restore breaches is through confession. Right? Here's the second one, and this is hopefully gonna hit home even more, and that's relational integrity. You have congruency between the way you speak about people to their face, it's the same as the way you speak about them when they're not in front of you. Should be congruency. It should always be congruent what you say about them to them and what you say about them to someone else when they're not around. Here, here's the exception that you would all come to as you, you know, reflected and meditated on this sermon later, so I know you all do that, is uh, you need times to process. Right, you need healthy processing situations in your life because processors, right, when we have someone that's listening and listening and letting me process, it's actually how we come to the truth sometimes. Right? I gotta figure out what's going on in me. Why am I disturbed? Why am I distressed? Why am I hurt? So the exception to this congruency between what I say to someone and what I say about someone is when I'm in healthy processing situations. Right? And uh, what makes a, a processing situation healthy is that the processor and the listener are working together to help the processor come to the truth of what he or she thinks or feels for the sake of unity. So meaning that when they get down to the truth of what they think or feel, that message is then brought back to the person's face. That's what restores congruency. Right? Okay, I'm processing, I'm sharing what I'm feeling, I'm sharing what I'm thinking, this is what's going on, da, 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 da. But then you get down to that, but then what restores, what makes this healthy is that I then take that back to the person that I'm talking about. You're all quiet. Because if I don't take it back to the person I'm talking about, I've just opened up all this stuff and then it's just sitting there. And then it just festers and negativity and division and all this stuff comes. Are you, you know what I'm talking about, right? So here's, here's the agreement. There's a mutual agreement that, you, that, the, that, the, that the listener has to have with the processor. The listener has to have with the processor. Say, I have an issue with somebody. The mutual agreement is this. One, we honor the person we're talking about. The reason we're having this conversation is because of who they are. And it's, it's, there's behavior that's hurting me because it's not in alignment with who I know them to be. There, that, there has to be mutual agreement of that. There's no, there's no space for slander. There's no space to assign motives, to point the finger. It's saying, this is what's going on. This is what's happening, right? So honor protects us, one. Two, we, we are agreeing that we're working to help the processor get a hold of what he or she thinks and feels for the sake of unity. We're not just doing this because we wanna shoot the breeze and just gossip about someone. No, we're sharing so that we can come to a sense of finding what's going on so that this message can be brought back to the person we're talking about. And then third, the processor 
Third agreement is the processor is going to take this information, the truth that's discerned, back to the person and then often need to report back to the listener as well. Very simple, right? But it's a little circle. Right? So I honor when a breach happens. We're going to process so that I can find the truth, and then I'm going to bring the truth back to the person. And there's going to be a cycle that I'm going to make. That's what restores congruency. Withholding on it, the hardest step. What's the hardest step in this? It's to take the message back to the person. But withholding that, that if we do not perform the last step, which is what restores congruency between what I speak to someone's face and what I speak about them when I'm not to their face, if I don't, if I don't make the last jump, uh, withholding honest feedback is not love. Because we usually say, it's, no, I love them. No, it's not love. It's absolute selfishness. And it really says, I care a lot more about what you think about me than about you. And it reveals that your honor is superficial because it means you really don't honor them for who they are because you're, holding, you're not holding them accountable to it. You're saying, you can kind of do what you want. I just want you to like me. It's not love, it's self-love. If you withhold the honesty, if you withhold the truth from someone, even if it's truth that will hurt them, you are doing them a disservice and you're showing that you don't really honor them for who they are because God's put you in their life to be a pain point. He's connected you through relationship because you're a part of the same body and you're getting pain shooting through you and you're saying, I'm not gonna tell you because you might reject me because of this, because of that, because of whatever. No, you're called to speak the truth. Because you love, you've gotta speak the truth. Iron sharpens iron. Iron sharpens iron. God's designed it this way. He's not like, oh my gosh, guys are driving each other crazy. Would have never guessed that's gonna happen. He's like, wait, your marriage isn't perfect? You and Jackie are engaged and it's not a walk through the lily fields? It's like, gotcha, trying to make you agape, trying to form my son in you. And the greatest gift that we have is each other. Right, there are some pitfall, pitfalls of losing tension. Uh, if we have honor without honesty, what happens is that we actually become a, a spiritually coddled culture. And uh, uh, we be, we're coddled spiritual infants who can only handle milk instead of solid food. And Peter tells us, grow up into salvation. Right, and the, the, like we're supposed to grow up. We can't just have spiritual milk the whole time. And the writer of Hebrews said, you know, I'm gonna relay these elementary things to you because you can't handle anything more than that. Right, if we can't speak the truth, if we just have this honor where we honor and, and speak to the golden people, but we don't speak honesty, we coddle. We're coddling one another and it creates stagnancy. There's no growth, there's no development. It becomes a stagnant culture because I just need milk, I just need blessing, I just need encouragement, I just need all the things that make me feel good on the inside. Right? That's not what we need sometimes. We're to speak the truth in love. Right? You see the tension in all of this. Right? If we have honor without honesty, it is a superficial honor because accountability is not being practiced. Right, we think of accountability more as accountability, 
But that's not really what it's about. It's about accountability. You're accounting for people's ability. You're holding people to, to become who they were created to be. Why did Peter get rebuked so strong by Jesus? Because when Peter was speaking to Jesus not to go to the cross, he was setting his mind. He was looking from earthly ambition. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he wanted Jesus to conquer Rome and him to be the right-hand dude. And Jesus rebuked Peter because he said, no, you are not that type of rock. You're a spiritual rock for a spiritual house. And to protect the integrity of Peter's call, Jesus rebuked him in a way that he would never, ever forget. So that when any time self-motive, self-ambition reared up, I guarantee you, he remembered, no, get behind me. I am not, is not my way. I am called, I am a spiritual rock for the church of Jesus Christ, not to build my own empire with my own kingdom. Right, truth protects. That is accountability. Right, if there, that's superficial honor, right? A real honor practices accountability. When you truly honor someone, you believe in who they are enough that you'll wound them with love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're faithful wounds. They hurt, but they will bring healing. They're scary, but perfect love casts out fear. And this is Paul with Peter. Paul honored Peter as the rock of the church. That is why he would have the courage to rebuke him, because he saw Peter again vacillating. Am I gonna be like the Jews to please man, or am I in Paul? said, no. He rebuked him, because he was calling him to the standard of who he was. It was not to slander. It was to convict and say, this is who you are. Honor without honesty is nothing. It's void. It's not even real. Shows that there is no honor in the first place. If you lose tension the other side, you have honesty without honor. Condemnation creeps into our love feast. And our words become like knives that leave each other wounded. Right? If you have honesty without honor, you are more in love with what is true and you're blind to what is the truth. You actually, right, there's a difference between what's true and what's the truth. Right? Behavior can be true, but it is not the truth about someone. Right? If you have honesty, but you don't know honor, all you, you think the tr what's true is the truth. We, th we start to feel justified and just beating people. What are you doing? You seriously did it again? Did that, like, it, it, it doesn't come from love. It doesn't, it doesn't come from honor. And it leaves people wounded, right? If we have honesty without honor, we, we lack ten tenderness and affection, right? We think, you know, that Paul, Paul just got, Paul just got ripped and brutalized by Pharisaical Judaism. They slandered him. They said all kinds of things against him. You read the letters of Corinthians. It's clear that Paul is in pain because he's being so attacked in his ministry. But he says, he says, I tell you now even weeping that they're enemies of Christ and I'd wish myself accursed so that they could be brought in. Even in a rebuke, there's tenderness. 
And I would say until there's tenderness, you actually don't know what a rebuke is because the Lord's heart is so tender. He does not rebuke us from a heart of wrath. He rebukes us with tears pouring down his face. Without honor, it's not honesty because you're not speaking the truth. It's opinions. It's just... It's, it's, it's worthless. It doesn't create any good. So they're very different perspectives on the same situation, but they're linked. It's what makes it paradoxical. It's what makes it difficult to navigate. It's why we need Jesus to even know what it means to speak the truth in love in any given situation. It's only out of dependence. We know, do we give milk? Do we give meat? Do we speak hard? Do, like, we need Jesus to be able to navigate. Speak the truth in love is a loaded statement. But I believe that the church, right, this is, this is huge implications for the life of the church. It has huge implications for the, the, the church's engagement with culture. If we don't know how to speak the truth in love, we will never succeed in fulfilling the Great Commission. Because the truth just wounds people. Right, and if all we do ever is, like, it's both. People need both. But it looks different in each situation. We need Jesus to know what it even looks like. Because this is the truth. Without tension, without the tension of truth, of honor and honesty, uh, there's no conviction. We, we do not have the ability to be instruments through which the Spirit's conviction flows through. Right, if I have honesty... Or if I have honor but no honesty or honesty with no honor, I don't have the ability to convict people because conviction is not condemnation. Conviction is, it's a grip. It cuts us, but it grips us and it pushes, it, it calls us back up to who we are, right? You know, when the Spirit comes and convicts you, don't you always feel loved? It's always like the same, like, oh my gosh, crap, no, 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 okay. But you're like, but I feel so loved. Right, there have been so many times he has just stabbed me in the heart with conviction. Never one of those times have I felt unloved. I felt very seen, very known, and knowing that he's championing me and he's actually honoring me and trying to protect his deposit in my life. Right? If we don't, if, if we can't navigate this tension, then God cannot use us to be agents of conviction in the world. And it is conviction that actually inspires change and transformation in people's lives. God wants us to be agents of conviction through which the Spirit through us creates conviction in the world by the way that we live our life. Right? But we need to embody this tension if we're gonna do it. And I wanna give you the, the best example I know in the Bible of watching Jesus navigate the tension of honor and honesty to produce conviction unto transformation. Right? And it's the story of the woman at the well. All right, this is like the most crazy story. Jesus went like miles and miles and miles. The beginning of the, of the passage, it says that he had to go to Samaria. And it was miles and miles out of the way. It was like they were going to Caldwell, and he's like, we need to stop at Twin Falls on the way. Right? That's, like, that's a little ex more extreme distance-wise, but direction-wise, that's what he did. He said he had to go to Samaria, and the reason that he had to go to Samaria is because he needed to meet one of his daughters at a well. That's why he needed to go to Samaria. The honor, the honor of that appointment 
In the Middle East, nobody goes to the well at the middle of the day. The only people that go to wells at the middle of the day are shameful people that don't want to be seen. She was an immoral woman, and it's clear that she did not want to be exposed or seen in her brokenness. So she was going to the well in the middle of, a, of the heat of a Middle Eastern day so she could get water without having to rub shoulders with any other people in Samaria. And yet Jesus had to go there because he wanted to meet her. The honor just of that, that God would inconvenience himself to meet with a broken woman at a well. And Jesus is trying to communicate honor through the whole story. But to do that, he both honors her by speaking to her. We see all these acts of honor. He goes out of his way to see her. He starts to speak to her. This was violating everything of that culture. Men did not speak to women, much less a rabbi, much less a prophet. Israelites did not speak to Samaritans. Jesus crossed the divide of the cultural chasm to, to, to display honor. He spoke to her. He saw her. And she's taken aback, clearly. Why is this Jewish rabbi speaking to me? But to get her to understand why he was speaking to her, he had to also get her to face the things that she was trying to hide and keep herself protected in. And he speaks the truth to her. But you see, all throughout the passage, she's trying to understand. She, she, she's trying to understand, why does he love me? She's experiencing love, but it's foreign to her. She doesn't know what agape is. But it's clear in the passage, she's experiencing love. But then he, and he asks, and he's speaking the truth at the same time. And she's, then she starts going from, it's not just about my husband's, I am, I see that you're a prophet. And then when she recognizes he's a prophet because he speaks the truth about her immoral past and that she's living with a man out of wedlock, she starts to go into the deeper shame, which is the social shame that I'm a Samaritan, which just to give you, this would be like a Mormon woman. Samaritans were, had their own form of the Jewish religion, their own temple, the own way they worship. So Jesus, not just going out of the way for a broken woman who's living with a man, but it's for a, a Mormon woman who doesn't worship, and then it gets deeper, and she says, well, I know that you say that the Messiah will come and that you'll worship in the temple, but we worship here, and she's expecting that he's gonna come as the prophet to rebuke her, and he just says, no, I'm looking for ones that will worship in the spirit and truth. And she's like, what is happening? What is this guy, what's his motive? And then she, it's like she gets this thought like, could it be? They say Messiah's coming. And he looks at her and says, I am the Messiah. As to say, I came for you. And it hits her. Love hits her. In all her testimony, all she can say is, he told me everything I did. Go see the man that told me everything I did. But it's clear in the passage, she's saying, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And she goes and on the account of her testimony, her whole city gets transformed because Jesus was never going to the well to see an immoral woman. He was going because he saw an evangelist that he just needed to honor and love into who she was created to be. Jesus navigated the tension. He honored her, but he did not deny the truth about her. And conviction pierced her heart and liberated her so that the woman that wouldn't come to the well to be seen in the morning was running down the streets testifying.
honor and honesty. God is a painfully honest God. He speaks the truth to us. He knows everything about us. He wounds us sometimes with his honesty. He holds the mirror and it hurts because he is the mirror. But God is relentless in the way he honors us. He believes in us more than we could ever believe in ourselves. And he knows that it's often the piercing of truth that leads us to the revelation of honor. He wants to love us in this way. He wants us to know him personally as a God of honor and a God of honesty so that we then can go represent him to the world and be people through which his conviction can flow and we can call people out of the darkness, out of the brokenness, out of their shame, out of whatever it is, into who they were created to be. So I want to close in this way. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And uh, I want to lead you just in a time of ex examination of your heart. And the, the kicker is, you're not examining your heart. I want you to invite him to. He is the examiner. So in a minute, I just, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a few minutes of silence. And I just want you to pray the prayer, search me and know me, O God. And I, and I just want to ask two questions that you can ask the Lord. Uh, the first is, are there any relationships where you've lacked honor? Where you have spoken, uh, you know, a cursed word. This is the power of life and death is in the tongue. Where you have spoken a word that is not of blessing, therefore it's of curse. Against an image bearer of God. And then second, are there any relationships where you have failed to be honest? Where you have withheld the truth due to self-love? Where you have failed to be congruent in what you speak? So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, and we invite your conviction in the room right now. Search us and know us, O oh God. now as we close tonight, just stay with your eyes closed. I want you to make it the, that as he's showed you, I imagine some of you feeling conviction. There's a person, there's a situation. 
And uh, I want to encourage you to obey that conviction quickly. Quick obedience is always better than long obedience. And uh, one of the ways that I think some of you, that, and it's going to be hard, uh, you don't even want to do what the Lord's telling you you need to do, but uh, we have a prayer team up here, and a good kind of first baby step is you could come up to them and you could confess to them, there's this situation, and God's put this person, and I know I need to tell them this, uh, and I want you to pray for me for courage, and I want you to let the prayer team uh, minister to you in that way. So we're just going to put the lights down. Uh, the prayer team's here to be agents of just uh, people that you can confess to, uh, and I just want to encourage you that uh, even, even perhaps before your head hurts the pillow tonight, Obey the conviction of the Lord. If you can't do that, then do it this week, but make it your aim. So, Lord, we thank you for your conviction. We thank you that through your leadership, you teach us how to be people that speak the truth in love. And I thank you for what you're doing tonight in this room. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse Podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.